Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Here's a question that might knock you back. Should we even be celebrating a Black History Month? Some say giving over one specific month, the shortest on the calendar, by the way, only serves to marginalize the Black American experience. Others still see it as a crucial time to honor and recognize Black history. But in a larger sense, is it still serving its original purpose to highlight and uplift the struggle for racial equality? For answers, let's turn to Lonnie Bunch III. Bunch is secretary of the Smithsonian, the first Black historian to ever hold that position, and the founding director of the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Hi, Secretary Bunch. Glad to have you back on Reset. How are you? It's great to see you. Great to hear you. you Great to hear you. Yes, (laughs) doing well. I want to begin our conversation with some news that's circulating today. Uh, It's parents from a predominantly white community in Utah convincing their Montessori school to allow kids to opt out of Black History Month instruction. The parents basically didn't see why their kids had to participate. And uh, a local newspaper first reported the story and said that the school agreed reluctantly. Secretary Bunch, what's your reaction to that? Um, That's a real shame because the key to Black History Month is the fact that all of us are shaped by that history, not just black people. And that it's really um, important that all kids understand the struggles of this country, but understand how the African-American experience has been central to understanding who we are as Americans and central to this whole story. So to suggest that somehow white kids or non-African-Americans don't need this story is a misreading of history. Do you think then that Black History Month is still a vital part of our country's observances? I've heard different concerns about it. You know, one is that it's the shortest month of the year. Second is that, of course, Black history is important. So why not recognize it all year? What do you say? Well, I think I think it's recognized all year. I think the key for Black History Month is it's very important to be able to focus attention, to focus schools' attention, corporate communities' attention. So I think February still works, but it works only if we change the notion. Often Black History Month is, you know, who invented the golf tee? Or simply, you know, rather than sort of saying what Black History Month really is about is about the challenge of this country, how this country has dealt with issues of race, and how it will always be important to understand the history to be able to draw inspiration and guidance and point us towards the continuing struggle. So I think it's really important, but I would argue that that just allows you to illuminate in a particular month. I've always believed that every month is Black History Month. Um, so therefore, in my mind, it's great to have the month. I, you know, obviously as a historian, it's one of my busy times. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I really think that the most important thing is to realize that these are stories that should touch us every month of the year. Yeah, I like that. Every month is Black History Month. So what do you say then, Secretary Bunch, to, to those who say Black History Month represents a type of tokenism or marginalization? First of all, what's important is remember Americans as a people are often ahistorical. Um, We have a very selective memory. One of the things you can learn about a country is by what they forget. And what they used to forget a lot about was African-American experience. So therefore, I think there's still so much history, but there's still so much understanding that will come from wrestling with black history, especially if it's seen 
not simply as the story of a community, but it's the story of a country through the lens of a particular community. Or as we did it when we created the African American Museum in Washington, that it really is a people's journey and a nation's story. Now, the very origins of the month began almost 100 years ago. So can you break down the history for us? Tell us the history behind Black History Month. How did it begin? Carter G. Woodson, who was the second African-American to get a Ph.D. from Harvard in history, realized that so many people didn't understand the history of black America and on two levels. One is that black people themselves didn't understand their own history. But two, he felt it was crucially important that non-African-Americans understand this history, understand this story, understand it in a way that suggests that African-Americans played crucial roles throughout the history of this country. So it was really done to counter kind of the racist stereotypes that you saw with movies like The Birth of a Nation. Um, So on one hand, it was really to say, let me give you a much more accurate picture of African-American life. And he chose um, the second week in February because it was the birthday of Abraham Lincoln and the birthday that Frederick Douglass claimed as his, because Frederick Douglass really didn't know when he was born. So it was really a week in February And then, you know, in the 1970s, I think it's 1976, it becomes um, a a month. And I think that what's important is that this was always an opportunity for a country to understand its history through the lens of the African-American experience. You also wrote a piece about all of this, and we're going to tweet that out at WBEZ Reset. Um, But you you talk about the importance of honoring our ancestors and, and Black achievement. And you also write about the challenges of forgetting. What are those? I think that you can tell so much about a country by what it forgets, by what issues it is embarrassed about, by what history it doesn't want to explore. And often that was African-American history. So for me, the challenge is that when you forget, you don't learn. When you forget, you don't draw inspiration. When you forget, you don't get the challenge to push a country better. So for me, remembering is really sort of macro and micro. On the micro level, it is the power of remembering one's own families or the power of remembering people who touch this country who are famous only to their families. But on the macro level, it's also suggesting that um, if you remember, then what you can do is confront your tortured racial past, that you can explore issues candidly, and that maybe, maybe the most important thing African-American history teaches you is to embrace ambiguity, because Americans tend to look for simple answers to complex questions. There's nothing simple about African-American history. So therefore, it would really help us as a country um, do a better job of understanding who we are if we can embrace subtlety, nuance, ambiguity, and hope which is at the heart of the African-American experience. So, of course, you know, stressing how forgetting impacts not just black people, but but the rest of the country. But you also, Secretary Bunch, you, you stress the challenges of preserving black culture and maintaining community. Without collecting the history, without collecting the oral histories, much is lost. And when we built the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, we were amazed at how much of that history was still in basements, trunks, and attics of people's homes. And so what it tells me is that collecting that history, whether it's through a museum or family oral histories, allows it to live. 
And when you collect artifacts, especially what you what you're able to do in museums like the Chicago History Museum and others, you're able to sort of allow the public to create informal communities discussing issues raised by a particular object. So my argument is that early in my career, when I would try to do exhibitions, there weren't collections. So if there weren't collections, that meant those stories weren't told um, in museums for millions of people. So my goal is to make sure that curators 50 years from now will always have the material they need to tell a rich, complicated story for all Americans. Let's talk about the present for just a moment. What, if anything, is is unique about celebrating Black History Month right now in this particular moment that we're in? What's interesting to me is that there is a real interest in understanding the country through its history. There's been a lot of conversation with historians and others about, you know, is this moment unique? Is this moment building on the 1960s? What does this tell us about, you know, progress in America? I think that what's powerful to me is that the lesson that we should take from Black history today, especially, is that the struggle for freedom is a long struggle. And that in some ways, the challenge of making America the country that we think it should be is a challenge that will always exist, and that history should give us sort of inspiration to keep fighting. It should also let us recognize that there are plateaus, but you don't get to the promised land. So you continue to work to push the country towards its more perfect union. Since we are in this new era, is there any room for innovation in how we approach the month as a country? or any? Do you have any ideas for how to do it better justice? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, we have technology that allows us to not just reach out to many, many more people, but to have more people share their stories so that people, so that communities, whether it's Chicago or Des Moines, can really get that history out and make it more available and accessible to people. I think we also want to, I keep coming back to this, and I want to make sure we don't lose it, that the what's innovative is to say this is the quintessential American story, not simply an African-American story. To make clear when many of the moments when America changed its notions of citizenship or expanded its notions of freedom, it was the African-American community that was the heart of that. So in essence, it's key to recognize that what innovation means is this is the story that shaped us all. This is the story that should be owned by us all. That's Lonnie Bunch III, Secretary of the Smithsonian Institution and founding director of the Smithsonian National Museum of African-American History and Culture. Thank you so much for making the time. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Let's bring in our next two voices to the conversation. First, Deborah Douglas is a visiting journalism professor at DePauw University and author of the newly released book, U.S. Civil Rights Trail, A Traveler's Guide to the People, Places, and Events that Made the Movement. Hi, Deborah. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for being here. And Mitchell Jackson is with us as well, professor of creative writing at the University of Chicago and author of Survival Math, Notes on an All-American Family. Hi, Mitchell. Hello. So I want to start by asking you both the same question. What is your take on celebrating Black History Month? And is it still necessary? Deborah, you first. It is still necessary. I think that the year that we just had, 2020, where we had the disproportionate impacts of the coronavirus, and then we had the largest social justice movement in the history of the country, shows that there is a need for a deeper level of education around the uh, the lived experience of Black people uh, in this society. 
Mitchell, why do we still need Black History Month? Or do we? Uh, I, yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I think it's vital. I agree with Deborah, and I think, you know, we needed to help contextualize those moments, you know, to look at Black Lives Matter in terms of what was happening during the civil rights and even, even prior to that. So, yeah, I think we need it for reflection and also to, to look ahead. Do you think, Mitchell, that removing Black History Month would be sort of a don't throw the baby out with the bathwater type of situation? Absolutely. I can't see a valid reason for doing that. I don't think it's harmful to to highlight uh, the achievements of Black people during a month, uh, which is not to say I don't think they should be highlighted every month. You know, plenty of people argue that, you know, every month should be Black History Month, and I do agree. But I think to highlight it is, is important. Deborah, what greater purpose would you say it serves to continue celebrating this month? You know, Black History Month started as a way of acknowledging Black achievement, but that sort of celebratory pose has lulled us into a sense of complacency, suggesting that the work is done and that um, that all we have to do is use respectability politics as a way of benefiting from the barriers that have been removed. But every day we're learning that there are structural barriers to the way that the society has been constructed. And so now I think we need to focus on how do we understand the structure of our institutions and then dismantle them and rebuild them in a way that serves us all. You're both contributors to the new book, 400 Souls, A Community History of African America, 1619 to 2019. Now, you'll both be participating in an event tonight with the DuSable Museum of African American History about it, and we can tweet out information about that. Uh, But 400 Souls is really fascinating because it uses a new approach to telling black history through a community lens. Are there other innovative ways that you think that we might change our approach to Black History Month, Mitchell? We don't necessarily need innovative ways. I think when we think about... 400 souls. And while I think the structure of the book is innovative, I don't think that you could, you know, think about this book unless you also spoke about, you know, the fire next time or the fire this time, which, which came out, uh, I think a few years ago, or even, you know, going back to, there was a, an anthology of black writers, probably, I think it was 20 years ago called Gumbo, an anthology of African-American writing. And, you know, there's a anthology of black voices that's taught widely in institutions. So we're not necessarily innovating. We're, we're kind of reimagining and, and, and presenting to people a new era of maybe writers. But, but I, I think that's, that's equally important. So I don't know. When I think of innovation, I think of technology. And so I don't know if I think it needs to be innovative, but I do think it needs to be consistent and it needs to be nuanced. Deborah, do you want to weigh in on that? And, and just for our listeners, uh, 400 Souls is, is a new book by Ibram X. Kendi, and Keisha N. Blaine. It just was published last week. What are your thoughts, Deborah, on on innovative ways to approach Black History Month? There's a lot of innovation already ongoing. Uh, Just look at the impact of the 1619 Project last year and the Black women activists who were able to get people to the polls, especially in Georgia, in the face of voter suppression and all over the country. But I think that um, any innovation has to do from moving from a mindset or a position of celebrating achievement, which is important, to one that is dedicated to dismantling the structural deficits that 
befall the African-American community, but eventually um, affect us all. I think that we can focus in on specific issues like demanding a living wage and while also encouraging education, we can balance personal responsibility with a focus on structure at the same time because people can walk and chew gum at the same time. Well, Deborah, you wrote a piece about the importance of remembering Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy, uh, specifically around the lessons for a, a better post-coronavirus economy. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Yeah, so as the plight of the lowest level of essential workers came into view, it made me reflect upon the idea that uh, Dr. King was talking about some of the same issues that we grapple with today. Uh, he talked about universal basic income. He called it a guaranteed income. And actually, even before Dr. King uh, evoked that idea, Thomas Paine in the 1700s talked about um, a version of guaranteed income, sharing a, a dividend from uh, what America produces. Um, I interviewed uh, Simon Balto, who wrote Occupied Territory. He talked about how capitalism has created the precarity that we all witnessed last year and are still experiencing. And then I also talked to Cornell Brooks at Harvard, who talked about the tiering of risk the risk that we're putting a value on certain people's lives, a low value on some lives and a high value on other people's lives. Yeah. We even engage with the idea of postponing elections, which is a Machiavellian form of voter suppression. And Dr. King talked about all of these things. Well, on top of being writers, you're both teachers. So, Mitchell, suppose you were in charge of creating a curriculum for the whole country for 2021. <laughs> yeah, big job. <laughs> what would you personally think to highlight or to prioritize in terms of Black history this year? I think one thing I would do is I would focus it on region. So I would make sure there was like a holistic, you know, uh, curriculum. But I think also, you know, like, for example, I grew up in Oregon and I grew up ignorant of the history of Black people in Oregon. I would create some some curriculum that addressed those inequities or erasures for Oregonians, same thing in California, same thing. You know, I think when we think black history, it's very easy to talk about the South and to talk about Chicago because it was a hub for the Great Migration. But I think when we get a little further west, if we get outside of California, it's a little harder to track. So I would do that. And I would also um, make sure that it included different types of materials. So I, I would definitely want, you know, film, literature, music, um, visual arts. So, yeah, so we get a, a, a broader spectrum. Mm -hmm. And before I let you go, Deborah, what do you think are the next frontiers for Black Americans in the long-running civil rights struggle? The African-American community is more than a crime story. Uh, that became clear during the presidential debates when questions were asked and answered that framed the Black community around crime and incarceration, which is a very uh, important issue, but it's also a deficit frame that defines the entire community by the worst possible thing that's ever happened to them instead of what drives us in our aspirations. And so we care about other things. We care about education. We care about politics. There are so many things, and I'd like to see us focus more on structural understandings and approaches um, and demand better information about these things from our media and our other institutions so that we can make structural competence a household word and a way of being. 
That's Deborah Douglas, Eugene S. Pulliam, Distinguished Visiting Professor of Journalism at DePaul University and author of the new book, U.S. Civil Rights Trail, A Traveler's Guide to the People, Places, and Events that Made the Movement. Also, Mitchell Jackson, Professor of Creative Writing at the University of Chicago and author of Survival Math, Notes on an All-American Family. Happy Black History Month to you both. Thank you. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. If you have suggestions of Black trailblazers in Chicago history whose stories you want us to explore, leave us a voicemail at 888-915-9945. That's 888-915-9945. Or email us at reset at wbez.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.